Welcome to our series on the book of Hebrews. In this study, lead pastor Tim Brooks and associate pastor Paul Kern will be sharing life-impacting truths. The Gospels reveal what Jesus did on earth. But now that Jesus has resurrected from the dead and entered into heaven, what does he do? What role does he play? And how does that affect our lives today? These questions and more will be explored in this informative and revealing 10-part series. Now, join Associate Pastor Paul Kern. Well, I want to welcome you to our series in Hebrews. I'm thrilled about this. I'm so pumped about this series that we're in. So welcome everyone to our midweek service. Those of you that are joining us by podcast, we want to welcome you also. We are in lesson two tonight. And you know, I love Hebrews because we talk about Jesus. And there's nothing better that I like better anyway than talking about Jesus. So in our first lesson, our lead pastor, and you know his style, we covered the intro in three verses. You know when you have a teacher behind the podium. So tonight we're going to get into lesson two, and I want to get us into Hebrews. We're going to look at uh, the first four chapters. And so we're going to be talking, starting out talking about angels. Angels played a really huge role in the culture of Jewish tradition in the Old Covenant. The Bible tells us that, you know, so many angels were involved in assisting in the giving of the law of Moses. If you go look in Psalm 68, uh, you can read about the angels being involved in the giving of the law of Moses. You can look in Acts chapter 7 and see there also. So the theme of Hebrews is the superiority of Jesus and the salvation that he brought as compared to the old covenant law that they had been so uh, indulged in for over 2,000 years of, of history. You know, they're just in the law of Moses. So Hebrews has to deal with, the, it has to deal with the, the importance of angels because angels played such a very important role. So in chapter 1, Starting with verse 4, if you want to look there with me. This shows that the Son of Man is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my son, today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he brought his firstborn son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him regarding the angels he says he sends his angels like the winds his servants like flames of fire but to the son he says your throne O god endures forever you rule with a scepter of justice you love justice and hate evil therefore O god your god has anointed you pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else He also says to the Son, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you will remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. And God never said to any of the angels, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who inherit 
salvation. So we see so many Old Testament quotes here being given because, you know, Paul came from this pharisaical background and he understood the Old Covenant law and so he's communicating here. And as a matter of fact, if you look at verse 5 and 6, let's just look at these together. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my son, today I become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he brought his firstborn son in the world, God said, let all the angels worship him. See, angels are servants to Jesus. Jesus is superior. Now, angels are, angels are awesome. I mean, they're amazing. We read all about through the Bible where angels appeared to people and they would have to say, fear not, you know, fear not, don't be afraid. So I'm sure that they were amazing looking beings, but they are inferior to Jesus because Jesus is the son of God. Look at verse 10. He also says to the son, in the beginning, the Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and you made the heavens with your hand. They will perish, but you will remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak, discard them like old clothing, but you will always be the same. You are forever. See, Jesus is the creator. <clears throat> Jesus made all of the universe, everything that we see. As a matter of fact, we know that Jesus was the word, right? That's what John says. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. Well, we can go back to the book of Genesis and we can see where God spoke what? The Word and it was. So Jesus playing that role of the Word was the one that created the universe and everything that we see. Verse 13 God never said to an angel, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool. See, God never said anything like that to an angel. As amazing as angels are, Jesus is superior. As a matter of fact, verse 14, we get a kind of an insight into one of the roles that angels play as ministering spirits to us here on earth. It says, therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. And so God has the angels being sent to help you and I as we inherit salvation. So Jesus is, is far superior to angels. Look in chapter 2, starting with verse 1. So we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Hebrews encourages us, don't ignore salvation. See, it's encouraging them in that time and in that day as they were elevating angels and they were elevating God's law not to ignore Jesus. Don't ignore how you really are saved because the fact is angels are ministering spirits without a body. 
Angels are spirits. They're not a physical being. Now, we know that they can transform and take that form, but that's not their natural state. Angels are spiritual beings. And so we see these ministering spirits without a body, and it could seem like they're greater than Jesus because they're spirits and Jesus has a body. As a matter of fact, go to, go to chapter 6. Let's just flip over. Chapter 6, verse 19. The hope, this hope, is a strong and trustworthy anchor for your souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So see, we're, we're being shown here that Jesus is the anchor. Don't drift away from the anchor who is Jesus because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and he is the one that we should be pointing to and looking to. All right, go back to chapter 2. Look at verse 5. And furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future world that we're talking about. For in one place, the scripture says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or the son of man that you should care for him? Yet you made him, that yet you made them only a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out, but we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus who was given a position a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God for whom and through and whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader fit to bring them their salvation. Now, Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father, and this is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and his sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters, and I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him, that is, I and the children that God has given me. And because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son of Man also became flesh and and blood for only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death and only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves fearing dying and we also know that the son did not come to help angels he came to help descendants of abraham that's you and i Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every aspect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer sacrifice that would take away the sins of people. And look at verse 18. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we're being tested. You might want to highlight that verse because I'm telling you, I look at that often. That verse encourages me. It encourages me that Jesus, Jesus understands 
where I'm at. See, angels can't. Angels can't sympathize with where you are because angels don't know what it feels like to be a human being. Angels don't understand what you and I face on a daily basis. But Hebrews shows us that Jesus' humanity is such an incredible thing for you and I because Jesus is able to understand where we're at. But see, one of the arguments that came up was because, because Jesus was a man, that he was less than angels because angels were spirits, okay? So I want to look here at four things, four things. And we're going to start with chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. And I'm not going to read all of that again because I've read the whole thing. But, but you can go back and study this on your own time. But in chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, in Jesus' humanity, it ab- enabled him to regain man's lost dominion. You know, we forfeited that. Adam and Eve forfeited that dominion. God gave man authority. The serpent came into the garden. He deceived Adam and Eve, and they forfeited their authority and their dominion that God had gave them. So Jesus came back as a man to reclaim that lost dominion. In verse 5 says, God never promised the angels that they would reign in the world to come. God never said that he was going to put them in charge of the world to come. Jesus died so that we could be what we were originally intended to be. See, because that original intent was lost when Adam and Eve were deceived in the garden. So Jesus came back to reclaim that right and to give that back to us through you know, our salvation, and now you and I can regain that place. But angels cannot die, so they could not save lost sinners. There's no way that an angel can save a lost sinner. Only Jesus qualified to do that as a man. The second thing that I want you to see is in verse 10 through 13, Jesus' humanity enabled him to bring glory to many people. You and I, as we sit here in this room tonight, we sit here free. We sit here blessed. We sit here inheriting salvation. We sit here full of joy under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our life, all because of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, it says, Jesus had to be a man to bring man back to the place of glory that God intended us to. To walk in. God never intended us for us to live as slaves. God never intended us to live under the, the weight and the burden and the curse of the law. He, he created us to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. The third thing that I want you to see is found in verse 14 through verse 16. Jesus' humanity enabled him to disarm Satan and deliver you and I from certain death. And obviously, I'm talking about eternal death, right? Because we're spiritual beings, and we're going to, we're going to live eternally because we're spirit beings. We, we can't die. But Jesus enables so that we could live and have eternal life, not eternal death and separation from God. It, look in verse 16, chapter 2, verse 16. It says, We also know that the Son did not come to help angels, He came to help the descendants of Abraham. This meant that Jesus had to become flesh and blood if he was going to be able to be that sacrifice 
that stood in proxy for you and I to pay the debt that you and I were under from the curse of Adam and Eve and the choices that they made. Angels can't die, so angels can't pay that price. So you understand verse 14, it had to be death. It had to happen, and then Jesus had to resurrect to claim that victory for, for all of us. Then the fourth thing that I want you to see is in chap, uh, verse 17 and 18 of chapter 2. His humanity enabled him to be sympathetic with you and I. And, and I, I really want to put an emphasis on this point right here because angels can't identify with our needs. They've never... Yeah, have you ever heard, ever heard anybody say, you know, you, you've never walked a mile in my shoes? Have y'all heard that term? You've never walked a mile in my shoes. You need to walk a mile in my shoes. You need to live and understand my life before, you know, people who go through difficult things. Sometimes, you know, you encounter people who have gone through difficult things, and if you've not encountered what they've encountered, really all you can say is, is I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm praying for you. I can't imagine, you know, we've all said that. I can't imagine how hard this must be for you. Only somebody who has been there, only someone who has experienced can really truly sympathize and understand where you are. And that is why Jesus is superior to angels because Jesus, he understands. Jesus understands. Jesus was hungry and he was thirsty and Jesus was despised and he was rejected and he was lied about and he was wounded and he was, he was hurt. And so Jesus is the someone that completely can relate and identify and understand with everything that you are facing in your life right now. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that our God chose to come down from the majesty of heaven, the throne room of heaven, take on the form of a human being and live in the form of a human being for over 30 years and then die and suffer all because of his great love for us and so that he would be able to be a God that wasn't distant, some way out there in the universe, way out there in the galaxy somewhere, but God is right here near you every day. It is, it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So when you pray, you can understand. You can understand and know God knows your struggle. God knows where you're at. God knows the highs and the lows because he's lived as a human being and all of this was in preparation for Jesus to be our great high priest and now here is Jesus in this very unique position for you and I you know one of the things that we talked about that we were going to reveal in this series is what is Jesus actually doing right now well Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father and it says that he is our advocate with God. He's like our attorney with God. And he's praying and he's there on our side and he's being our advocate before the Father. See, he understands. Jesus becoming a man made it possible for our salvation and it makes Jesus superior to the angels. We don't pray to angels. Church, I've never prayed to an angel. I don't pray to angels. I don't ask angels to guide me. I don't ask angels 
to direct me. I don't look to angels. I don't pray for an angel to appear at the foot of my bed, like, you know, because that's scary. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's like, you know, you don't have to appear to me. I'm cool. I'm good. <laughs> but angels didn't give, didn't give us access to God. Jesus gave us access to God. Jesus said, I'm the door. He says, I'm the door. And, uh, and, and every door that I've ever used gives me access to another room. And Jesus says, I'm the door that gives you access to the Father for you to connect with the Father. See, Hebrews opens with Jesus being superior to angels. The next section that we begin to look at is Moses. Now, Moses was a, he was an all-star. I mean, he was an all-star in Jewish culture because Moses was the man that God picked to deliver to them the law the Word, the, the Holy Scripture. So Moses is in this real high elevated place, and he should be because Moses was a great man. But Hebrews shows how Moses is, is inferior to Jesus. Jesus is superior even over Moses. Now, chapter 3 opens up talking about this. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those who called who are called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God, who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted to God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself, for every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths that God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. See, verses 1 and 2 says, Jesus was faithful just like Moses was faithful, but Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, you have to understand when, when this is being said in the Jewish mind, what is being communicated is, is that Jesus is greater than the law that defined them as a people for over, you know, for thousands of years, right? After the law was given. And so this is a very powerful statement that is being made by the author of Hebrews. Now, verse 3 through 6, it says uh, there's a, a, a house is given as an example. And it says in verse 4 that the house is, is the universe, okay? And then in verse 6, the house is is God's people. Now, every house has a builder. I mean, obviously we know it's we have contractors and they build houses, and so every single house that we know always has a builder. A house doesn't just appear out of nowhere. It, it requires a builder. Now, in verse 5, it says that, that Moses was considered to be the greatest man that ever lived because he was the giver of the law, but Jesus is superior, and here's why. He is God. 
See, as we look at Moses, Moses was just a man. Jesus is the Son of God. There's a big difference. Jesus is the Son of God over God's house. Moses was just a servant in God's house. See, there's a big difference between Jesus being the Son of God over God's house and Moses being a servant in God's house. God used Moses. God used Moses in powerful ways, and, you know, and, and we definitely honor Moses for all that he did. As a matter of fact, you want to make sure that you read the first five books of the Bible because when you get to heaven, Moses is going to see you and he's going to ask you, did you read my books? And you're going to be like, uh, well, uh, well, I was going to, but, uh. <laughs> so you want to make sure that you read those books. But God used Moses to show us in symbols what the deliverer of the world would look like when he came. Moses was a great man. Moses was a faithful man. But he was still just a man. And he was still only a servant. Look at verse 6. But Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Him. Remain confident. Remain confident in your hope in Him. You don't, you don't remain confident in your ability to follow all of God's rules to follow and obey all the requirements of the law because we all fall short every day. We miss that mark, right? So we put our confidence in Christ. Christ who is the Son of God. Now, the rest of chapter 3, verses 7, all the way through chapter 4, verse 13, shows how Jesus is greater and the rest that Jesus brings is greater than the rest that Moses brought. You know, everybody that Moses led out into the wilderness, and we all know that story. If you go read in Numbers, we read about the Exodus, and, you know, he led all these people out, and they were all out in the wilderness. And Moses was given the task of, of leading this rowdy band of, of Hebrew people uh, under God's guidance. And so if we go, as a matter of fact, just flip over to Numbers real quick. Flip over to Numbers 14. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 14, and start with verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I've heard the complaints of the Israelites are making against me. Now tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I've heard you say. Get, be careful about what you say. You will drop dead in the wilderness because you have complained against me, every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land that I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua. You said your children would be carried off as plunder. Well, I will bring them safely into the land, and they will enjoy what you have despised. But as for you, you will drop dead in this wilderness, and your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you lies dead in the wilderness." Because your men explored the land 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. 
And then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will certainly do these things to every member of the community who has conspired against me. They will be destroyed here in the wilderness, and they will die. Then ten men Moses had sent to explore the land, the ones incited rebellion against the Lord with their bad report, they were struck dead by a plague before the Lord. And of the twelve who explored the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. And when Moses reported the Lord's words to all of the Israelites, they were filled with grief. And then they got up early the next morning and went to the top of the range of the hills. Let's go, they said. We realize that we've sinned, but now we are ready to enter the land that the Lord has promised us. But Moses says, why are you disobeying the Lord's orders to return to the wilderness? It won't work. Do not go up into land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. But when you face the Amalekites and the Canaanites in battle, you will be slaughtered. The Lord will abandon you because you have abandoned the Lord. But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even though, uh, even though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant left the camp. And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in those hills came down, attacked them, and chased them back as far as Hormah. Wow, what a story. What a story. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that held on to God's promise. While the others experienced sorrow and death, Joshua and Caleb experienced life and joy and peace. You know, as I look at this tonight, you know, we understand that Moses represents the law and Joshua represents Christ. Okay, it's symbolic, it's types and shadows. And I, I want to read a little article that I came across several years ago, and it's always been something that I just found very intriguing. It's just a little short description here. Joshua is the leader of the children of Israel now. Moses is dead. Joshua stands with bowed head and a lonely heart, for his wise counselor and friend is gone. But God said to him, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with you wherever you go. And we hear God say in Joshua 1, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan. Moses must die before the children of Israel could go into Canaan. Moses could not even enter Canaan himself to say nothing of bringing anyone else in. Israel had to wait until Moses was out of the way. To the Christian, Moses represents the law, and Joshua represents Christ. Christ alone can lead us into the inheritance that is ours. Paul says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, that all Christians would simply lean on their faithful Joshua and follow only him. Christ wants to lead us into what he has purchased on the cross for us all. It takes Moses and Joshua together to present to us typically the finished work of Christ. Isn't that amazing? The law has its place in all of our lives. It is a tutor that leads us to Christ. But when we come to Jesus, and especially you young adults here tonight, I just want to really encourage you. The law is a tutor 
that is meant to lead you to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you'll hear so many times, all the different leaders here, you'll hear Josh say it to you guys in youth group. You'll hear David say it to you at CMA chapels. You'll hear me say it to you in our internship. We'll always say, and I know it sounds so cliche, but it is not a cliche statement for us. It is a true statement. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way. He is the only way. Living your life by the letter of the law and trying to fulfill the requirements of the law, it is a restless, restless, condemning pursuit. Jesus has a rest that we can all walk in every day as we share a relationship with the Son of God who loves us, who died for us, who understands our weaknesses and our shortcomings. Isn't it amazing? See, it wasn't God's will that people would die in the wilderness. That's not what God led them out of Egypt. God didn't lead them out of Egypt to take them out into the wilderness for them to die. They missed their inheritance. And they missed their inheritance not, be, not because they were bad people. They missed their inheritance because of doubt and unbelief. That's why they missed what God had for them. See, when we doubt God, when we doubt his son Jesus and what he's accomplished in our life, we live in restlessness. We won't walk in peace. Out of Egypt is where they were led. But they never were able to enter into that land of promise called Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of God's inheritance and God's promise. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4. We know it is ready because the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. But in the other passage, God says they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. Say that with me. Today. Say that with me. Today. Say that with me. Today. And God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now if Joshua has succeeded in giving them this rest, God will not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for God's people. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Now I want you to notice, rest is not inactivity. The Bible says in another translation, let us do our best to strive to enter that rest. See, we work to enter and stay in that place of rest in Christ because that rest is a source of satisfaction within us, church. You know, Jesus provides a, a, a source of satisfaction 
As we walk with Jesus as Christians, the rest that Jesus gives us is a peace in our jobs, peace with our families, peace with our friends, a rest in our accomplishments, a joy and a rest in our hearts and in our lives. See, that's what Jesus provides. God wants us to enter that place of rest, and God wants us to live in that place of rest every day. Every day as we go throughout our day. You know, there can be all kinds of hurricanes and earthquakes, all kinds of calamity and worry and concern. The news is full of it today. It's so full of it. And, 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 and so many Christians are so anxious and they're so worried and they're so afraid. And I'm not making light of those things that we're facing. They're big problems. Don't get me wrong. They're big problems. Our world has some big problems. But we have to make sure that we find our rest in Jesus, not a prescription. That we find our confidence in Jesus, not the weather. That we find our security in Jesus, not our jobs. That we find our anchor in Jesus, not this world. Jesus gives us such a sense of fulfillment. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And he's talking about an eternal rest. An eternal rest. Look at verse 5 and 6 here. Chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. It says, but in the other passage, God said, there will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed. But God has provided a rest, an eternal rest for you and I. Here, here in everyday life, as we live everyday life, God has provided that rest. And I want to close going back to chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. It says, be careful then, brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we, get this, we will share in all that belongs to Jesus Christ. Remember what it says today when you hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, but make your heart receptive. You know, tonight as I close, Jesus is the answer, church. He is the answer for all of life's problems. And here's the awesome thing about Jesus. Jesus is just as relevant today as he was the day that he came into the world and blessed us with his life. Amen? Did y'all get something out of this? Amen. Let's give God a hand clap tonight. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We, come on, let's just honor Jesus tonight. Come on, just, just give Jesus some honor. Let's give Jesus some praise in this place. Jesus, we love you. We honor you tonight, Jesus. We respect you. We look up to you so much, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
for all that you have done. We're so grateful to you, Jesus. Thank you for being that faithful high priest. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for fulfilling what God gave you to do. Jesus, I'm eternally, eternally grateful to you. Jesus, tonight we all tell you that we love you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all that you've done. Go before us this week. Give, it, give us divine appointments. Help us to be salt and light. Lord, use us. And we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Our prayer is that you will experience Jesus in greater ways. If you would like to learn more about how to give to the ministry of CMC, please go to cmchurch.com giving. Thank you for listening today and God bless you.